Hello, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping family businesses thrive. My name is Ross Hayworth, and each week I will share insights and experiences to help you to navigate the complexities that can come from being in business with your family. You will also hear directly from family businesses who have been kind enough to share their own stories. As ever, I am grateful for the support of my good friends over at the Institute for Family Business. The IFB support family businesses in overcoming their challenges and help them build lasting legacies, something that we have a shared passion for. You can find out more about their work by heading over to ifb.org.uk. Right, let's get on with this week's show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. It is a showcase episode this week, and I'm really, really excited to be joined by my friend, Kenda McDonald, who is the CEO at Automation Ninjas. Hi, Kenda. Hello, hello, hello. Um, now, you are the CEO of an award-winning, sorry, a multi-award-winning <laughs> family business specialising in behavioural marketing automation. Am I right? Correct. Excellent. We're going to get into what that means a little bit later on and how the family businesses listening to this show can benefit from behavioural marketing automation. But before we do all that, say hello to our audience and give us a bit of your background. Hi, guys. Um, So, yes, I am the, the CEO and founder of Automation Ninjas. Um, and I run it alongside um, my husband, uh, Mike McDonald, who is the financial director of the company. He holds the purse strings. It's probably a good idea, otherwise I'd spend it all on cocktails. <laughs> um, and yeah, we got into the business through quite a convoluted route, um, but a happy route in yeah. the end. And I love the story behind it all. So can, can we hear a bit of that and how you came to be doing it in the first place? Yeah, sure. So um, sort of, gosh, almost it's 11 years ago, very soon, um, I was uh, given a job placement by the British Police Force. Uh-huh. So I'm South African. I'm from Cape Town in South Africa. And I was about to go into studying forensic psychology. And I obviously got flagged up on the system. Um, and I was offered a placement in the British Police Force. And the job offer was brilliant because they sat me down and they said, um, you know, you're going to get into a lot of student debt, which I was prepared for. My family definitely couldn't afford to send me to university. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get yourself into a hell of a lot of student debt. Um, why don't you move to the UK? We've checked you can get an ancestral visa. Um, sort of half my family is Scottish, the other half is Irish. Why don't you come to the UK? We'll give you a job in the police force. If you work for the police for two years, after that time period, you can um, study through the police force. Um, and while you're uh, sort of working and studying, we can put you up in police barracks so you won't have to pay for accommodation. Cool. Um, and then they said the magic words. And the magic words were, um, the British police force has a mortality rate of 0.1%. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> because, unfortunately, South African police force mortality rate is around 30%. So wow. a lot of the police officers die. Um, and it's also just a very corrupt system, and it can be very disheartening working in such a corrupt system. Uh-huh. Um, so I was looking forward to not having a lot of student debt and potentially not dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I made the move to the UK. And unfortunately, when I got here, they said, that's great. You're in the UK now. Um, now you just need to uh, sort of naturalize and live here for five years first. And, and then the job offer will still be available. And to say that I was peeved. <laughs> yeah, I can <laughs> imagine. Insert your expletives yeah. of choice there. <laughs> I was it. Um, I was very upset about that because basically I was homeless and without a job overnight. Wow. Um, and I'm very lucky that my mom was living in the UK at the moment. You know, I've been living with my mom for quite a while, getting all sorts of odd jobs. I worked in a pub. I started a company walking dogs, uh-huh. um, just, you know, doing anything that I could do to get money so that I could eventually go back to university. And I knew I couldn't wait five years because the sort of careers that I was going into, you're looking at 10 to 13 years of studying and waiting five years to and then potentially another two years, at seven years, yeah. I would, you know, be in my mid to late 30s by the time I finished everything. I'd be way behind everyone else. Mm. Um, and it was just a massive disadvantage to me. So I decided to stay in the UK because I thought the prospects and stuff were better here. 
Um, and also I'd met my husband at that time, who obviously wasn't my husband. Uh-huh. We were dating. Um, and I just thought I'd give it as much of a go as I could. Um, and through all, doing all the odd jobs and everything, I ended up working for somebody who did marketing automation. Uh-huh. And that was kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, I'd never heard of marketing automation before. Uh-huh. I didn't know such a thing existed. Never been in the advertising world. And it was just a really happy coincidence of time because I was working three or four jobs at a time um, and then going to university in the evenings. Um, so I went to Birkbeck Uni and I went in the evenings because, you know, then I could still work a full job uh-huh. during the day. I, I was an international student, so I had no recourse to public funds. Um, so I had to pay my own way through everything, um, which is hard enough as it is as a student, but international students, more money. Um, I started to be able to see this great juxtaposition of things. I started to be able to see and understand human behavior from the psychology that I was studying. So uh-huh. I'm studying forensic psychology and then see the marketing automation at the same time. And that was really cool because I was learning about advertising. I was learning about all these things that you can do to, to get more customers, to get customers that spend more money, to get customer lifetime value, all that cool stuff. Uh-huh. And then at the same time, I was learning about how the brain actually works. Uh-huh. And I just realized that there was such there was this massive chasm between the two where the two things were talking to one another mm. we're learning about how the brain works and about how humans work and we're learning about how the brain makes purchase decisions and, and all that cool stuff but we're not applying any of that to any of our marketing and businesses are struggling to automate their marketing as it stands mm-hmm. um, and my boss at the time um, got me to quit my jobs um, got me to spend more time in his company I went from being his PA to being his operations director within a year, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then he asked me to stop studying. It was a really tough decision to make. Mm. But it was either I carry on working for him and um, have a job <laughs> or I have to go find another job and hope that I can make the money to pay for university. And so I had to choose, you know, the money at the yeah. end of the day because I, I, I didn't have a safety net at mm-hmm. all. Um, so I, yeah, I put my studies and stuff on the line. He didn't want anything to do with any of the behavioral stuff. He just wanted to make a quick buck and get out of there. Um, and unsurprisingly, his company shut down. Uh And when he shut his company down, um, I'd done a silly thing and I brought Mike into the business. So we were, um, we weren't quite engaged at that point, but Mike is exceptional at finding problems and mm-hmm. things which is a great skill to have as a partner yeah. <laughs> um, but he's he's very good at finding little things and systematizing things which was perfect for what we were doing in marketing automation so uh-huh. I brought him into the team I built a team up and my boss then just shut the business down and left all of us out in the cold wow. without jobs he hadn't paid us for a couple of months that's two incomes for a couple of months so I turned to Mike at that point um, we recently got engaged and I turned to Mike and a funny story is it was actually the day that we were moving into a new house. Mm-hmm. He'd asked us to move up to be closer to him. So we'd left our entire support network behind, moved into a brand new house. We're literally got the removal trucks in the driveway asking me where boxes go. And the one day of the year that I'd booked off, mm-hmm. my then boss came to me and said, I have to speak to you. And I'm like, but I've got a day off. I'm moving. Yeah. Like, it's really stressful. And he kind of sat in my soon to be bedroom and just said, that's it, I'm shutting the company down effective immediately. Wow. Um, and that was a big shock because obviously we just incurred all the costs. Yeah. Of <laughs> and I, I had to take Mike outside and I said, look, um, we don't have jobs anymore, <laughs> just by the by. Mm. <laughs> um, so I think we should start a company. And we did. <laughs> and Automation Ninjas was born. Yeah. Wow. I was just so desperate to use the behavioral understanding to bring it together with marketing automation. And my boss had always said to me that it would never work. And I was desperate to prove him otherwise. Mm -hmm. I can be a bit stubborn like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I really wanted to make it work. And so Mike and I started, we had uh, somebody else who was on our team, Mel. We started out with the three of us straight away. Um, So we had to make sort of money to put food on the table that mm, month yeah she's a great motivator <laughs> and so we kind of just got going and um it took me a while lots of research um and we started pulling things together we started bringing clients on people were desperate to work with us and we started getting the results and it worked mm. and it worked really well and people it just blew people's minds that we could do this kind of stuff um and it was such fundamental stuff as well and you know 
yeah, Automation Ninjas was born by wow. bringing that behavioral bit and bringing the marketing automation mm. together. And how long ago was that from where we are today? Probably nearly six years ago. So now. six years ago, out of pure necessity. Pure necessity. The business was born. Yeah. And it has been growing and thriving ever since. Yes. Winning many awards. Yes. And it's, there's a difference between marketing automation and behavioural yes. marketing automation. Obviously, you're focusing on the behavioural side of it with your um, background on the psychology and how the brain works and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Um, for those who may not know the difference between marketing automation and behavioural marketing automation, can you give us a bit of an overview of what they each are and, and why you've chosen the behavioural side as opposed to yeah. the automation side? Yeah, sure. So if we take a little step back even further from that, it's, it's also redefining what marketing automation is. So you could have said five years ago that marketing automation was just something as simple as, um, you know, putting up a landing page or somewhere where you could drive traffic to and hoping that someone would sign up for something and then sending them some emails, right? Mm -hmm. It's basically email marketing. Um, and even that can be a little bit scary um, and it might sound like a lot of a lot of words mm -hmm. all put together, but really marketing has fundamentally changed. It, it always used to be about getting customers, uh, getting leads ready for sales and then sales would turn that into customers. Right. That's not how marketing works anymore. Um, marketing is now everything that you do to get and keep a customer mm -hmm. because customers can flit so quickly from place to place, especially if any of your work is online um, or if you're e-commerce or um, SaaS, software as a service, if you're doing any of those things or if you're a business that's trying to go online. Um, it's very hard to keep your customers in an online world because their attention is, is so um, dispersed over so many different things. Mm. There are so many different competitors. Anybody can put a website together and just be the next expert in yeah. something. Um, so it's really hard to keep a customer. So our, our role as marketers, and we're all marketers if we have a business, yeah. our role as marketers is to get the customer and then keep them for as long as possible. That's what marketing now does mm -hmm. if it's done properly. And all marketing automation is, is automating part of that process. It's leveraging part of that process. Okay. So it's really hard if you're trying to do everything manually, especially when consumers want to do things online. Mm -hmm. It's not a luxury to do things online anymore. Consumers are demanding that they are, are able to contact you online, yep. speak to you online. Um, so marketing automation is, is looking at, the journey that a that a stranger has to go through in order to become a customer and stay a customer, it's understanding what that journey is, putting the appropriate systems and things in place to help you with that so that you can do your job better. Mm -hmm. um, but that process can be very reactive. It can be very um, sort of depersonalized. Everyone's always worried about um, sort of marketing automation taking personality out of things or, or kind of just being a bit flat and robotic. Mm. Yeah. That's true if you do it wrong. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so where the behavior comes in is understanding how consumers behave. So it's understanding um, how we make decisions. It's understanding all the different bits of information that they need to make the right decision and to become your customer. But it's also taking a look at how they're interacting with everything that you're putting out there. Uh -huh. So if you're putting some great pieces of content out there, whether it be blog posts or videos or even just posts on Facebook, uh -huh. if, you know, you're just starting out. It's watching how people are interacting with that. What is their behavior telling you? And, and making sure that you're leveraging that behavior, so that you're using that behavior in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. So the behavior comes in and understanding the consumer and treating them like a human, making it very personalized so that they're having that great customer journey and then automating it as well. So mm -hmm. that's what we do. It's, it's very different from this very sort of flat, depersonalized process. We're yep. trying to help you have a, a positive and meaningful relationship online with your consumers. Mm. And if we look at consumer behavior, generally in today's day and age if we want to find something out we tend to turn to the internet don't we we go onto google or other oh, yeah. search engines and yeah. go right what's the best way to do this or how do we do this or what's this and um it used to be that if you catered for that then you did okay on yeah um google searches whereas now people are looking for far more aren't they yeah. than that used to provide and um would it be fair to say some businesses are perhaps not keeping us up to date with their 
um, marketing strategies on that no. side as they should be? Um, it's definitely fair to say that, and it's a really harsh thing to hear, but uh, most businesses aren't just not keeping up with it. They're kind of burying their head in the sand with it. Mm -hmm. And um, that is harsh, but it's true. Right. Um, and if you're, if you're not at the forefront of all of this right now, you're not only falling behind, but you're being trampled by all of the businesses that are catching up. Yeah. You just don't stand a chance if you're not paying attention to it. Um, that doesn't mean that it's like, all oh, worries me, the world is over sort of a deal. Mm -hmm. What that just means is that you've got to put a little bit of effort in. Um, the consumers are so demanding and there is so much. And, and it's if you are one of those businesses that's fallen behind, it's not the end of the world. You know, you, you're in business for a reason. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's because you're really good at what you do. Yeah. Um, and you just have to make that available to consumers. We just have to talk a slightly different language mm -hmm. now. And we have to make sure that we're providing the right kind of environment for a very demanding consumer. Modern consumers are super demanding. Mm. Um, and we just need to provide the right environment for them. And yes, it can be a little bit you know, overwhelming when you first started, but if you break it up into little chunks and you chip away at it, you will be at the forefront of your game again. Mm. And it's interesting that um, obviously you've combined almost by accident the behavioural side and mm. the, the marketing automation side. But how important that is to um, businesses' marketing strategies is understanding behaviour and how the human brain works, how we're programmed to mm. kind of do things. Because we've been... Um, evolving for millions and millions of years. And yeah. in this last tiny little <laughs> period of history, we've had the internet yeah. and we've had access to information. We've had all this sort of technological evolution yeah. that is so, so quick and changes very, very rapidly compared to our brains, which have kind of been, yeah. they're probably a slower moving oh, evolutionary yeah. circle to, <laughs> to the, um, the speed at which things develop on the internet. And you're combining the two, is that right? That's correct. So, I mean, I guess you could say exactly as you said, we, we evolve very slowly. And at the end of the day, we've evolved to survive. We've not evolved to buy things online we've not even evolved to do business relationships we've not evolved to buy things full stop whether mm -hmm. that's online or offline yeah. we've evolved to very crudely um procreate and um, get to the next day mm -hmm. that's all we've evolved to do is to pass our genes on and hopefully survive until morning comes yeah. um that's literally what our brain is catered to do we're very lucky that our brain developed in such a way that we're capable of evolving uh, of surviving in better and better ways um and the problem is now that we've got to survive this bit of modernness um so one of the things that i love talking about is the fact that when you take a look um, and you put people in an fMRI scanner and you take a look at their brains when um, people are making a purchase decision, you start to see how crazy it is right. because we are using parts of our brain that were never intended to be used just to survive in 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 normal life. okay. So for instance, um, there's a great piece of research by Brian Knudsen from Stanford University. He put people in an fMRI scanner and he said, I'm going to show you, um, a product I'm going to show you the price of the product and then um, you've got a certain budget and if you you press a button if you want to buy this thing okay right and then he just wanted to see what the brain was doing while it was going through that process uh -huh. so pretty straightforward they showed them lots of different products but the best example was a box of chocolates uh -huh. they showed them a box of chocolates they saw the chocolates and um, when people saw that box of luxury chocolates, their brain lit up like a Christmas tree, right? They got really excited um, by the thing that they wanted. And so the reward center of the brain sort of lit up. And, uh -huh. and we expect this because you're seeing something that you want, your brain is emulating having it. Yeah. So it's showing you, you know, reward good. activation. Yeah. Floods you with lots of good hormones, uh -huh. right? Um, and then in the next screen, he showed them the price. And that was the stuff that totally sort of blew the doors off effectively um, because when people saw the cost of something, the pain centers of our brain light up. Okay. So it's literally the part of the brain that deals with physical and emotional trauma. And that was very surprising. Mm. So we didn't expect that. We expected um, that the, the parts of the brain that deal with sort of logic and reason would light up to try and work out if you've got enough money to buy that. But that's not how it works. Mm. The brain understands the price of a product 
And this is whether you're buying a box of chocolates or you're signing up for a service or whatever you're doing, the brain understands price or cost or something um, as pain. So it's hacking itself. Mm. It's using a part of the brain that was never intended for that purpose to understand how the purchase formula happens. And what they started to see was that depending on the amount of reward activation that people have and then the amount of pain activation that they have, they could actually say whether or not someone was going to buy that product before they bought it. Wow. Which is so cool. Um, And that gave us the purchase formula. So we now know that the net value of someone purchasing something, so the likelihood of purchase, um, is is the is equal to the amount of reward activation you have minus the pain activation. Uh-huh. So you're more likely to buy something, or you will buy something, if your reward activation is really high and your pain activation is really low. Mm-hmm. But if your pain activation is higher than your reward activation, you won't buy it. Mm. So they were able to kind of look at brain scans and go, that person's going to buy, that person's not going to buy, uh-huh. that person. And they could do that within a really, really small margin of wow. error. Um, so we need to understand that yeah. as businesses because the implications of that are huge, you know. Exactly. And if you if you consider it from the point of view, and an example that's just popped into my mind because it's something I've had to do recently is replace a part on your car. Yes. You don't necessarily go out. There may be people out there that do this, so if I offend (laughs) anyone, I apologise. But you don't necessarily go out and and go, I need a new car battery or I need a new front tyre on my car. I'm really excited about, you know, all the shopping experiences that come with that. But So so the... Um, it feels like a distressed purchase. Yeah. You begrudgingly pay. You know you need it because the, the car yeah. needs to go. But you, you don't get that feeling of it actually being something that is um, beneficial to you yeah. and, and a, a, like you say, a rewarding um, yeah. experience. Whereas there'll be products and services that our listeners will be um, selling that yeah. is their business that should be a huge reward for people yeah. because they're doing a great job. But yeah. the, if you're focusing on... Um, or not focusing on the behavioural side, rather, you're going to perhaps ignore some of the fact that this is can be a painful experience for people yeah. if that's yeah. if I'm understanding it correctly. No, definitely. And and so like when you start to look at that, and you and even when you when you see that purchase form and you start to go, okay, this might be a painful experience for people. You start to change the way that you go about making that that experience. Mm-hmm. So you start to change the way that you deal with people throughout that experience. And at that point, you're doing exactly what what I would love for everybody to do, and that's pay attention to the customer journey, to the journey that that consumer has to go through in order to purchase something and making that journey as good as possible for that consumer Mm -hmm. and understanding all of the emotions that they're going through, all of the different behaviors that they're going through, and you start to cater it to their journey so that you make it easier for them to make the right decision. Yeah. So, So how do you start going about it? Because, again, there'll be people out there that perhaps aren't, um, p- particularly in their role, day-to-day role, focused on the marketing side of things. That's why well, there are marketeers and marketing teams and departments mm. for, for that. But but if somebody's thinking about how to sort of improve their customer journey and or, or understand it even in the first place, where do they start? I think the first thing is to sit down and actually map out what your journey is. Um, that's the bread and butter of of what we do effectively, and it's although it's the start starting point to the process that we take people through, it's probably the most important part of the process. Well, it definitely is. Because spending that time sitting down and thinking, okay, so even if we take an offline store, not even an online store, somebody comes in um, to a bakery and they've got to buy a loaf of bread, mm-hmm. okay? Um, what's the process that they actually have to go through in order to buy that loaf of bread? Um, they've come in, they've got to go to the counter, they've got to do this, they've got to do that. They've, you know, How are they actually going through each step in that process? And when you start to even look at offline stuff, um, Starbucks has done this amazingly. Starbucks is probably one of my favorite places to go and have a look at because of how closely they've paid attention to the customer journey at each and every single step of the way. Mm-hmm. There's a reason Starbucks has succeeded so well. Um, and it's very interesting when you compare Starbucks and Costa Um, how different people feel when they're in the shop. Mm -hmm. Um, So in Costa, people can feel very rushed. They can feel like they need to leave soon. Um, Whereas in Starbucks, 
people stay for a lot longer. Why is that when effectively they're providing the exact same service? So what you tend to have in Starbucks is people will go for one or two coffees. They'll go for a coffee, then they'll go to the counter and they might order some food and they might have another coffee. So Starbucks is getting two to three amounts purchases than Costa is. Okay. Why is that happening? And that's simply because of the fact that Starbucks has very carefully crafted its stores all the way from the first time you walk through the door, all the different things that you smell, you see, that you hear, the way that you stand at the counter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the end part of that is actually after purchase. And that's the thing that Starbucks has done incredibly well. They have made it comfortable in their shops. Mm-hmm. So when you go into um, any Starbucks shop, it's the seats are generally relatively comfortable. Um, you never get kicked off of a seat. It's a policy of Starbucks to, to leave you there for as long as possible. So okay. They'll kick you out at, at yeah. closing time. Not stay there overnight. <laughs> um, no, but they'll <laughs> even come around and ask you if you want something else when you sat down at the tables. Uh, okay. So if you've been there for a while, I know this because I've been working on blog posts yeah. and stuff. And I've been sat there and they'll come around and ask me if I want another order. Um, they also made it possible for you to order things from your phone so you didn't even have to go to the counter if wow. you didn't want to and they'll bring it to your table um so there's there's some really amazing things that starbucks have done and including the music that they've chosen um the seating that they've chosen the layouts that they've chosen the temperature is very carefully controlled in the starbucks as well to be very comfortable so they've made it comfortable for you to mm. stay there and that's only because they've sat down and they've really thought about what that journey is like and so whether you're doing that offline whether you're doing it online particularly when it comes to marketing automation we forget about all of that yeah. stuff you know, we're very good at if you've got, you know, a front of house that's got to be in, in contact with people all the time. We're really good at going, you guys have got to smile. You've got to look good. You've got to do these things. You've got to be nice to the customer. Yeah. And we don't do that online and we wonder why it's a depersonalized process. Mm. So the first thing is to sit down and map out what your existing journey is. Because the second you do that, you'll start to see problems. Mm-hmm. And you'll start to be like, oh, why are we doing that there? Yeah. And we need to improve that. And you'll start to find holes and gaps. And you should start plugging those holes and gaps. You're into you're into the behavioural stage already. Mm. And if we again take the example of somebody searching for something online, and they find the top result mm-hmm. of um, the website, is that where you would start that customer journey? Is from the click through to say yes. the front page or the article or the 100%. whatever it comes from, and in to how much detail would you then go as to so the behavioural side, is it layout? Is it ease of reading? Is it, do uh, there's bounce rates and all, all the technical stuff that goes into it? W- w- what level are we talking that you, you need to go into a level of detail on? <laughs> as detailed as possible uh-huh. is what I like to do. However, there's a starting point for everybody. So um, if you don't know what a blog is, kind of starting all the way from the point of, you know, you can't go super detailed if you don't really know what blog is. Mm-hmm. So you can't go, yes, I'm going to map out this journey. I'm going to make sure that each and every single thing is absolutely perfect because you're going to overwhelm yourself straight away. So you've got to start at some point and mapping it out is is the first place. But if you're more of an advanced user mm-hmm. um, and you're definitely getting into the nitty gritty of your marketing automation, then 100%. Um, I like to start, if I'm going into nitty-gritty with a client, we've already done a whole bunch of stuff in and I'm optimizing things, I would go, okay, right from that click, not even from that click, from before that, when someone has searched for something and they're on the first page, what are all the titles say? Mm-hmm. What are all the slugs in the titles? What are all the, and, and that's not the garden variety, <laughs> <laughs> what are all the meta descriptions? Are they enticing? Will people come through? Does it answer the thing? Does it match the search intent that they're going through? And then when people click through, yes, how long are they staying on the page? Are they clicking around? Are they going off to another thing? Are they consuming the content? Is it easy to read the blog post? Is it easy to scan the blog post? Is it easy to do this? And, and I will go into a finite amount of detail mm. when you get to the optimization stage. But I'm always hesitant to say that to people because they have to start scary somewhere. As well. <laughs> it, it does get a bit scary. Yeah. Um, because the, you can really fine-tune it. Yeah, and, and presumably the benefits are there. Yes, uh, definitely. So it's something that's worth doing rather yeah. than thinking, oh, well, I can leave that until next year or leave that till next quarter. It's something that's absolutely worth looking at right now because otherwise if you're not, again, you're getting perhaps further behind that yeah. curve of 
um, the uh, sort of evolutionary technolo- technological world we're living in um, today. Cool. So, what is there a format or a formula of what a really good customer journey looks like? Yes. Yes, there is. That's good. <laughs> I'm not sure where I'd have gone if there wasn't. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, so we like to break a customer every customer journey up into four stages. Okay. Um, and by breaking it up into four individual stages, we we get down to the nitty-gritty and we can we can pull out bits that people often don't think about. Um, and a good customer journey has everything in those four different stages. And the four different stages um, are attract, um, and that is what you're doing to bring to target your customers or, or your leads or your prospects, whatever you call them at that initial point, your mm-hmm. unknowns. What are you doing to target those people? What are you doing to get their interest? And what are you doing to actually um, capture their information in such a way that you can have a more meaningful conversation? So we call that attract. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's everything to get the person in, in the first place. The second part is engage. So what you're doing to build a relationship with that person, what are you doing to further that relationship and get them to the point where you understand what they're interested in and you can offer the appropriate product. Mm -hmm. And there's two parts to engage, and that is to add value to the consumer and to educate the consumer. Okay. Um, Because if you're adding value at that point, they're starting to build a relationship with you. They're Mm -hmm. not just going to click off and go somewhere else. Um, They're going to stick around and and they'll be more willing to give you their contact information or to have that sales conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Because it's not only that consumers are more demanding, they're also really flighty. They don't want to be sold to. Uh So we've got to make sure that we're very gently like transitioning them into the sales stage but we also want to know a bit more about them we want to know if they're a good fit for our services Mm -hmm. we want to know if we're going to offer them the right service Um, and once you get that information you can transition into the third phase which is called sell and sell is as it says um, on the tin it's to sell things to people (laughs) Um, and so sell has two parts to it it has um, to make the offer and it has to close Mm -hmm. because as um, consumers have come to hate sales more and more um, sales seems to have split into two camps so you have um, the kind of Wolf of Wall Street approach to sales, which is very heavy sales, mm-hmm. very old school sales, very in-your-face sales. And that's like, you will buy this product. Um, <laughs> and you have people in that camp. Yeah. And it can be very scary being on the receiving end of that. Um, and then you have another camp on the other side, which is um, the people who are too scared to make the offer. Um, I know that in in our own business, that's definitely where I fall because I don't like sales. Guilty. um, Because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Same. Yeah, and and a lot of businesses will be suffering with that, with either one of those camps. Mm. Um, But on the one camp, sometimes people are, you know, in the Wolf of Wall Street camp, neglecting to really find out whether it's the right time to offer this product or service, or they're offering the right product or service, Mm -hmm. um, and is it to the right person that they're offering it to? Um, so we like to say right place, um, right time, right offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of camp can be guilty of doing that. And then the other camp is guilty of not closing the sale. Yeah. <laughs> and just like legging it in the other direction. I really want to buy from you. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here are all the reasons why you shouldn't buy yeah. from me. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... That camp needs a little bit of help making sure that systems and processes are in Mm -hmm. place to make sure that 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 sale actually closes. Because it's very often not that the consumer doesn't want to buy it, it's just that we get busy. Yeah. And so just picking up on that point there where you say there's the kind of two extremes, Mm. uh, I'm imagining that, and I I probably sit in the, um, the, (laughs) not the Wolf of Wall Street camp, the kind of reluctant... (laughs) The reluctant salesman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And... It, it might be that I assume that the only alternative to that is to be Wolf of yeah. Wall Street, buy my stuff, why are you not buying my stuff? Yeah. Like badgering people day in, day out to buy my stuff. And the behavioural side of it is the happy middle ground yes. of that, of saying, look, we understand what your needs are, we understand what your concerns mm. are, we know what pain points you're feeling, yeah. therefore we can help you solve those by you yeah. employing our services, buying our product, yeah. doing X, Y, Z. So, so it's a middle ground that yes. both camps can be happy with. Yes, exactly. Good. Exactly. And it's something that we found when we go into a business that has a sales team in place, they often go, 
oh, you're just the marketing people. Mm-hmm. You should go sit in the colouring department with the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the people in funky clothing over yeah. there. You know? um, or, or or I get called a millennial, which I always find very offensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, so when we do go and we speak to a sales team who is very Wolf of Wall Street, when we explain that by doing things the way that we're doing them, what the system is actually doing is it's bringing lost leads in or it's turning a sales opportunity from one sales opportunity to multiple sales opportunities. We catch their attention straight away. And they come to realize that the marketing is there to help them do their job better. Mm. Um, And that means that it's a happy medium for them. Whereas for the reluctant salespeople, like myself, like yourself, Mm -hmm. like a lot of the people listening probably, most of us don't get into business to do sales. We get into business to do the thing that yeah. we really enjoy doing. Mm. Um, and you don't have to be a Wolf of Wall Street salesman if that makes you uncomfortable. All you need to do is provide the right information, but sometimes you have to grow a pair. And mm. that's not like breathing down people's neck, shouting coffee is for closers, you know, <laughs> being really rude to your prospects. Yeah. That's, you don't have to do that. That only happens in the movies, yeah. <laughs> or it should only happen in the movies anyway. So you can put systems and, and things in place for making sure that those things that you feel uncomfortable about are actually still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a happy middle ground because you're helping that customer um, and getting some money off the mm-hmm. back of that as well. And the, the point is as well, I mean, um, th- there's a lot said around um, the values of family businesses setting mm-hmm. them apart. And, and this process is another opportunity to demonstrate and yeah. articulate what those values are, yeah. that you are there for the long term, to look after these yeah. people in whatever it is that you're um, selling, not that it's a quick sale. Exactly. And, and so... It, it's not something that we should see as um, like sales is a dirty word. It's mm. just you're doing it in a way that is true to the values of the business. Yeah. And it's a great yeah. opportunity to articulate those. Yeah, so you're doing it with integrity. Exactly. And yeah. so there's not exactly downsides to it. No. Other than that, the process is probably more involved than yeah. it has been historically. But the benefits is you get to understand a lot more about your potential customers yeah. as a result of that. Yeah, so it's we've, very we've beneficial. And we've done this for businesses and they've gone, my God, I didn't know that that was a problem for our customers all this time. You know, we've been in business 20, you know, 20 years, 30 years. There's a printing company that we work with. It's one of our favorite clients. Mm-hmm. Although all my clients are my favorite clients. <laughs> in case um, any of you listening. Yeah, in case any of you listening, you're all my favorite, I promise. Um, <laughs> But they are one of one of our longest clients as well. And they had no idea that one of the design elements when it came to printing, and it was a really, really simple thing. And it was the difference between um, RGB and CKY colors, just the two different color things, mm-hmm. was one of the biggest frustration points for their customers. Right. And they had no idea that that was that problem yeah. until they started creating content around it. And they started kind of just creating stuff that was going to help the sales process, make mm-hmm. it a bit smoother. And they realized that it was such a big problem that they actually released a design service to help people make sure that their things, and it, and it works really well. It Brilliant. makes them a lot of extra money, but it means that they have happier customers. Mm. And that brings us to the fourth phase, yes, which is wow. Because okay. after you've made the sale, you still have a job to do. Uh-huh. You've got to deliver the thing that you promised that you were going to deliver. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, most pe- most businesses stop there. So they'll deliver their, their product or service and they'll go, right, tick, that's that job done. Yeah. Now I need a new customer. And they'll run all the way back to the beginning of the process and they'll go and try and find another customer. Um, that is really foolhardy and also really, really a lot of effort mm. that you don't necessarily have to expend. So getting um, a second sale from a customer is 600% cheaper than getting a new customer on board. Wow, okay. So you definitely want to take that relationship to the next level once you've already sold and delivered that thing. Mm -hmm. So to put something in in place... is the that kind of fourth phase for wow you've got the delivering the thing and then putting stuff in place to actually make sure that they're happy with that thing so asking for testimonials and asking for referrals Mm -hmm. but then you're you're looking at what's the next step in the journey for them what's the next product that they can purchase what's their next problem Mm -hmm. because very often if you have given them a product service you've solved one problem 
but now they've got another one. Yeah. And so what are you going to do to help with that next thing? So same as the printing company discovered that the design service was an upsell to the thing that they were already doing, which added an entire new dimension to their business, which is extremely profitable. You could potentially upsell your services. You could cross-sell. You could downsell. You could offer new products and new services as they come mm -hmm. along. But it's about how can you take that relationship to the next level? How can you turn a customer into a loyal customer, mm. into a lifelong customer. And that's what we call customer lifetime value. And although most businesses approach us to help them get more leads or to help get higher conversion rates or to help automate all of this stuff, um, we find that it's the customer lifetime value stuff that's definitely my passion piece. And it's the thing that makes people money for the longest. Mm -hmm. So while it's something that takes a little bit longer to get in place, I feel like that's so important. And that's the thing I like to focus on very heavily mm. is how do we get you customer lifetime value? Yeah. Because that's just ROI, it's your return on investment all the way around. Yeah. And when you um, mentioned the example earlier of Starbucks, mm. their um, environment that they've created yeah. makes somebody feel very welcome there, very comfortable there, and encourages them to make more of a purchase. Yes perhaps buy food, perhaps buy another coffee or another exactly. drink. And that is far easier than trying to get someone else in off the street. Yeah. But what that also means is that that person, if they want a coffee or want to go and do some work, like you said about doing a, a blog or catching yeah. up or whatever it is might be, they're going to choose Starbucks over yeah. X, Y, and Z I because they feel the comfortable. Yeah, For exactly that reason. And I think there's something very simple that Starbucks does is it plays music, but it's inoffensive music to pretty much everyone. Mm. It's music that is just background music. Yeah. It's just stuff in the background that happens and it relaxes everybody. It slows the pace down a little bit. Um, so when I whenever I go into Costa, I notice how frenetic the place is. Mm. It's just like it's totally frantic all the time. And I feel really stressed out when I'm trying to get some work done in there. Mm -hmm. I have to put um, earphones in and I have to just concentrate on stuff. But I, I kind of feel like I'm in the way when I'm in Costa. Um, and so it was really interesting because, you know, when I was doing research for the book, I went and I spent a lot of time after hearing the case study. Mm -hmm. I went and spent a lot of time in both locations. And I was like, wow, mm. the difference is quite stark when you try and when you start to notice those things. Um, you start to notice how everything is catered in a slightly different way. But now I will go out of my way to go to a Starbucks um, just because I know I can sit there, I can not be bothered. Um, no one's going to shoo me off of my table. Mm -hmm. I know that, you know, same as it is in every cost of location, everything's pretty consistent. Um, but I know that I'm in the right kind of environment to get some stuff done. Yep. Yeah. So I sort that environment mm. out now. So they've won me for customer lifetime value. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's something that each of the businesses listening can achieve yes. through this behavioral. Yeah. Definitely. Marketing automation. Um, you mentioned the book there. Um, oh, yes. It would be very remiss of me not to mention um, the book. Um, it's called Hack the Buyer Brain. Yes. Um, I've read it. It's fantastic. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Um, I am mentioned in it. Yes. Um, of yes, course. you are. Um, so t tell people about the book, its aim, um, you know, what you were intending to achieve uh, when setting out writing it. So, um, in order to kind of really bring behavioral marketing automation into, into real life and to make it feasible, I had to do a lot of research. I, I probably spent sort of five years or so, the last five years of my life, really heavily researching this. And that started before we even started Ninjas. Mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of research before then as well. Um, really heavily researching how people make purchase decisions, looking at all the psychology behind it, all the experiments that have been done obviously fortunate to have access to a lot of psychological journals, a lot of behavioral economic stuff. So kind of going through and just learning lots of stuff. And I started to realize that sort of um, Coca-Cola and YouTube and uh, Google and Facebook can pay for big sharp, you know, sort of behavioral economics and, and behavioral consultants to come in and help them put this kind of stuff in place, help them understand customers, help them, you know, build customer journeys that are, are, are fabulous. But 
SMEs can't. Mm. You know, we can't afford to pay someone, you know, 50 grand to 100 grand to come in and do a massive meta-analysis study. We don't even have enough data yeah. to be able to do that most of the time because most most of us have, you know, between 100 and and sort of 5,000 clients. We don't we don't necessarily have 100,000 clients mm-hmm. or, or even in Coca-Cola's case, you know, several billion, billion clients. Yeah. To, in order to analyze the data. So we can't do a lot of the cool stuff that the big companies can do. And that really pissed me off. <laughs> it just really, really annoyed me yeah. that, um, you know, it felt really unfair. Um, and it also felt like I was sitting on a gold mine of information and I wanted SMEs to have access to it. Mm. Um, it's also, when you start researching the information, it's very inaccessible. It's very, very inaccessible. It's full of a lot of pompous psychological jargon. And I wanted just you know, Joe Blogs to be able to pick up a book and read it and go, I can do this. I can make this happen. Yep. And I wanted to make all these insights just accessible to normal businesses. Um, so uh, sort of <laughs> three years ago, I set out to write Hack the Biobrain um, after having already at that point researched for about five years. Um and I started writing the book, realized I needed to do a bit more research and then sort of finished up writing it. And what I really wanted to do was take all of that cool stuff, show people how they can make awesome customer journeys, how they could get better quality leads, how they could get better quality customers that, that stuck around for longer. All of that cool stuff that you hear mm-hmm. um, and how they could understand their consumers a little bit better, how the brain actually works when it comes to that stuff, but make it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's been my attempt um, is to write a book that, that shows you how the brain actually works in in a way that doesn't bore you to death, mm. hopefully, yeah. <laughs> or doesn't or doesn't confuse you, mm. so that you can go off and and you can do stuff. And the feedback's been excellent. Yeah, it's been really great. It's been really exciting. I've had people tell me it's changed everything for their businesses, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah, and I've as I said read it and it, I concur it is, uh, it is a very good book I'm not just saying that because you're sat in front of me now um, but but it is um, very good and, and it does cover a lot of what we've talked about obviously yes. in much more detail as to how yeah. um, you know the cognitive side and the yeah. brain um, works and, and all of that kind of stuff um, and so in terms of the, the as we were talking about earlier, the ideal customer journey. Mm. We've gone through the attract phase, engaging, selling, and wow. Mm-hmm. Is there any more that we need to cover on that to give people a sort of a summary on where they would need to be looking to to put some of this stuff into action? Yeah. So I mean, obviously, when when you when you're really clear on on how on your plan for each of those stages. Um, when you're really clear on what you're doing now and what you'd like to be doing in the future, you start to be able to actually decide what you need to do next. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that's overlooked the most is content. Right, okay. That's the um, that's the linchpin to all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have the best plan in the world and you can be executing it, but if your content is, is, is poor, and by content, I don't just mean... Um, sort of online content like blog posts and videos and um, podcasts. (laughs) I don't just mean that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. I also mean, um, you know, the way that you might be talking to people, any signs and that kind of stuff you might have, any collateral that you're using, any form of communication that Mm -hmm. you are having with a consumer is content. Um, And if it's bad, everything's just going to fall apart. Yeah. So... When you are getting to the point where you're executing a really good journey, you need to always make sure that you're following up appropriately at Mm -hmm. every single point, that you're really clearly communicating at every single point, and that your content is on point. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to have good quality content that holds it all together. And We we were talking um, before the uh, recording of this show about the difference between what we think people are looking for as as business owners ourselves and what they are actually looking for yeah. and because we're, we're immersed in the world in which yeah. we live in we know what we call things from the inside yeah. but it's not necessarily what people are looking for that no. aren't aware of what the solution might be and that's a really important distinction isn't yeah. it yeah so I love data <laughs> at the best of times I'm a complete data nerd when it comes to it I would have to be for my job uh-huh. Um, and so what I like to do is, is validate a lot of what we're doing. I don't like to, at any point, just 
thumbs up and go, I think this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. I think that's where marketing becomes bad. Yeah. I like to validate it with data. So whenever we are putting together a content plan, so whenever we're trying to get more traffic to a website for our clients or we're trying to get them more leads, I like to go and put together a really strong content plan that is validated with data. And so one of the things that we started to notice when we're really going in-depth into content plans, and, and by in-depth, I mean it takes us several days to put a content plan together. Um, so it's very, very intensive, but it's great research. And what we started to find was that terms that we thought were really obvious were not mm -hmm. necessarily obvious to our audience. We're putting thoughts into our audience's heads and we need to pay attention to their behavior and their search behavior tells us what they're interested in. And the example I showed you earlier was so funny. I have to share it with, with all your listeners as well. So we looked up something which we thought, yeah, this is a dead given. So yeah. we're putting our own content plan together. We're always tweaking our content plan. And I was like, I was talking to Becca, who, who does most of our content stuff, and I said, you know, really need to have something put together to make sure that we're getting, you know, the traffic strategy people, you know, people who are really interested in getting more traffic through. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, loads of people are going to be looking for stuff like that. No, they're not. <laughs> I think they should be doing it. Yeah. So we actually went and had a look, and it turned out that in the entire of the UK, only 10 people a month are searching for the words traffic strategy. Right. And they might be people who are traffic like yeah. um, fans or exactly. <laughs> enthusiasts. It might be marketers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like not the right target audience. Yeah. And then it turned out related to that to that search term or something I would have never thought people would be searching for, and that is internet marketing services. Like that's not a term that I ever thought mm. people would use. And there's 21,000 people a month searching <laughs> for that. And so it's just, you've, you've got to validate the stuff with data. You can't just go, yeah, I think that's going to be a good idea. Yeah. Let's do that. You've, you've got to go off and do your due diligence with it. I, I think that's a big um, bone of contention for me with the rest of the marketing world, mm -hmm. because I feel like the marketing world tends to just dream up things and go, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. So we like to validate everything, but it's a it's it's a lesson in making sure. And, and you can tell by the um, amount of content density that's out there for the term traffic strategies, mm -hmm. that we weren't the only people that thought that that was going to be the case. Yeah. There's lots of other businesses out there that thought loads of people would be looking for con uh, for traffic strategies when people aren't no. at all. So there's loads of content being created for something some nobody's searching for. Exactly. Right. And that happens all the time. And, mm. and I think it's one of the things why people say content marketing doesn't work. And it's because you're creating crap content or you're creating content in the wrong places. Yeah. And we could have put a lot of effort into creating content for traffic strategies. We could have written like wrote loads of blog posts, written massive lead magnets, we could have done videos, we could have done podcasts, we could have done all sorts of stuff to dominate that keyword when in actual fact no one no one gives yeah. a damn about that keyword at all. Mm. Yeah. Or ten people. Or ten people yeah. do a month. Yeah. <laughs> so like 120 people a year, right? Yeah. Whereas you have 21,000 people a month that are looking for something entirely different. Yeah. So you you've got to validate it, otherwise you will you'll miss opportunities. Mm. And presumably that's the benefit of again going into that level of detail rather than thinking, well, I'm creating content, therefore I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. It is actually making sure that it's something that is relevant, not yeah. just to what your um, service or product is, but also the problems it's solving and what people are looking for. Definitely. Um, because I may get the stat wrong, and you may correct me on this. <laughs> is, is it something like 70% of our buying decisions are made online before contacting a business? Yeah, so it's a... It's a slightly odd stat. It's slightly misquoted. Um, it's generally misquoted that 70% of the buying journey is made before someone talks to sales. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually not explicitly true. Okay. Um, and what you said is much closer to the oh, truth. Oh, good. Yes. yes. So 70% of our journey is made online. Uh -huh. um, and that just means that at the point when we're ready to take it offline, or we're ready to actually commit to something, we've already made most of our mm. mind up. Um, so if you're kind of sat there and you're like, well, we're the best manufacturer of whatever, people are going to come to us because they know that we're the best manufacturer of whatever. Um, and you just sit there and hope that people are going to come in and put their orders in because that's what they've always done. Yeah. Unfortunately, what you're doing is you're leaving the entire decision-making process up to 
your competitors. Yeah. And you're literally handing them, you know, your customers on a silver plate. And that's a really tough point to be in. Mm. You can't do that anymore. No. You know, unfortunately, things are shifting and changing. So it's either you leave that 70% of the process up to them and hope that people are just going to know that you're better Mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, the veterans of the industry are going to keep coming to you or you take back control of that and you go, actually, you know what? We're going to dominate that. Mm -hmm. We're going to make sure that we are the best resource possible. And so that when people are looking for information, when they're looking for inspiration, they come straight to us Mm. because we're there and we're providing them the stuff that they want. And pe- people build a relationship with the business without necessarily having to oh, yeah. to go through the door, so to speak, yeah. even if it's an online business, without having to go through the, the front door. And um, I, I think that's a massive benefit yeah. of doing this really well, it means that you build up this brand loyalty almost yeah. before you've even really had much of a, a contact with people. Yeah, it's a, there's actually a little funny side story here. My cat went through quite a lot of chemotherapy um, he got a uh, lymphoma and um, he had to have like a really big operation. And I just started recording videos on YouTube mm-hmm. when that had happened. And he really wanted to be close by me the whole time. It's mostly because he was feeling awful. Yeah. He was also on opioid medication and I, I don't think it gelled well with him at all. Right. He always looked very scared when he just had his, his drugs effectively. Mm. Um, and he was also very underweight, so he was cold. And I think he just wanted to be he wanted comfort basically so while I was recording the videos I had to have a box next to me which is still on my desk I had to have a box next to me on the desk where he would come and sit otherwise he'd come and try sit on my lap while I'm recording the video and interrupt me the whole time it's hard enough (laughs) recording something without being interrupted the whole time and I couldn't just boot him off because he was really sick and in a really bad place so um I had this thing next to me and, and during one of the videos he he jumped up and walked in front of me and I ended up using him as an example um, in, in the video and there was a, a kind of a blooper that I left in mm-hmm. and I'd drawn some houses on something and he came and walked across them and it looked like <laughs> this giant trashing all the houses and um, uh, Ross who was editing the videos just left that in mm-hmm. and I got somebody come up to me at a conference that I was talking at and they went how's your cat? I was like, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, no, I watch your videos. How's your cat doing? Because obviously I'd used him as an example in yep. story. And she built a relationship with me and she was talking to me like she knew me. Mm. I had no idea who she was. And that's actually a really powerful position to be in Absolutely. as a business yeah. that I've managed to, through the content that I've put out and through the work that my team has been doing to put content out, build a relationship with that lady mm-hmm. long before. Um Case in point as well for that is one of one of our lovely clients came and saw us speak at a conference, mm-hmm. went off and bought the book, got the book, read it the same day, sent me an email the next morning saying, you know, couldn't stop thinking about what you'd written. I really want to talk to you. Got on the phone with me and went, I know what our problem is. I know how to solve that. I just want to know. Um, how I can work with you to solve that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you need me for the sales conversation <laughs> like at all? I sent him a proposal and he said yes. And I was like, wow. damn, I should have charged him more. You know? <laughs> no, he, um, we have a standard price, but yeah. Um, he basically went through that entire process without me actually talking directly one-on-one mm. to him. So he went and solved all of his own problems, figured out exactly what it was that he wanted to do, and then mm-hmm. was like, can you help me do yeah. it? And it's, it's powerful. And through your um, process, he knows and understands that you're the right person to work yes. with in order to help deliver that as well, exactly. which is, uh, as you say, it's ideal. Yeah, because I didn't write the book in uh, a traditional format, let's uh-huh. say. <laughs> I'm a bit of a cheeky chappy, uh-huh. and I wrote the book exactly like I am because I wanted people to, uh, if you can't take my sense of humour and the way that I talk about things, it's uh-huh. going to be a bad time for everybody, yeah. so let's not have that. Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excellent. So if our audience, um, which I'm sure they will be, have been listening to this going, I need to find out more, I want to find out more, where can they do that? So you can um, head over to our website, which is automationninjas.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also pop me an email if you want to chat about anything, or if you have any questions or queries. Um, and my direct email Ooh. is um, kenda, so K-E-N-D-A, at automationninjas.com. Fantastic. Um, and if you want to read more about it, then 
go get a copy of the book. It's just Hack the Bio Brain, um, and you can find it on Amazon or you can buy it through the website. Fantastic. And we will link everything up in the show notes. Um, Make sure people can get in touch with you um, via there. Um, And what I normally do, this is obviously a showcase episode. Well, what I normally do in an interview scenario is ask somebody for their top tip for Mm. family businesses. But for the showcase ones, it's a top tip related to how they can best start the process, in Mm. this case, of behavioural marketing automation. So if you have one top tip, what would that be? You've got to have a plan. Don't just go all gung-ho into it and go, yeah, I'm going to get marketing automation and I'm going to just totally nail it and and just start doing stuff. You've got to be really clear on where you want to get mm-hmm. um, and you, you've got to know what those individual steps are. So start with the customer journey. Start with what you're actually trying to achieve and be really cheeky and say that we do marketing therapy sessions <laughs> <laughs> um, where we help people at least start that process. Uh-huh. So um that's on the website you can go and find out Brilliant. about a marketing therapy session but they're free so you should cool. do it yeah you'll be <laughs> inundated with requests now. <laughs> fantastic well kenda it has been an absolute delight um talking to you um i obviously have seen your work in action as well so i know how um cool it all is um and uh, yeah thank you for coming on the show thank you for having me I hope you found this episode useful. If you have, then why not share it with your family and see what they think? I work with families just like yours to help them to better understand the complexities that can come with being a family in business. So whether you're just starting out or heading into the umpteenth generation, if you feel that I could help, check out fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ and get in touch. Until next time, take care.